If you have Bibles with you or if you have them on your phones or on your tablets, it would be helpful to have Jonah chapter 1 open as we, as we look at it now. Now, uh, Jonah's an interesting book. It's an interesting book because it's one of those ones which is both very well known and at the same time not very well known. And what I mean by that is a lot of people will have heard of Jonah. They may have heard parts of the story of Jonah. But when we look at it, we're sometimes surprised at how much of it we haven't really gone. We haven't gone into it. And certainly a lot of people outside of a church context who might be aware of the story of this guy who runs away from God, ends up thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish. Very much just a kind of a, a surface of what we have in the story of Jonah. So I'm going to look at Jonah a little bit over the next four weeks. We're going to do a short series looking at him. Um, Who's Jonah? Jonah, son of Amittai. He's mentioned as a prophet in 2 Kings in chapter um, 14. We're told that he served during the the reign of Jeroboam II, who was king of Israel. And we're told that God spoke through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So we know a little bit about him. We know we're dealing with a recognized prophet. We know the Lord has used him before. And we have an idea of where he sits in the history and geography of of the Bible. But the thing about the book of Jonah is that it's not actually about Jonah at all. It might seem like it is because he seems to be center stage a lot of the time. And if we read through our account that we have here, his name keeps being repeated, doesn't it? Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. It looks like nobody else's name is mentioned in the book of Jonah except his. Well, it looks like that in our Bible translations. Because if you look at, say, for example, verse 1, where it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That word Lord in capital letters, some of you have heard this before, that's standing in for God's name. Yahweh, God's name. Jonah's name gets mentioned, I think, seven or eight times in chapter one. The Lord is named 11 times. Because that's who the book of Jonah is really about. It's about God. It teaches us about God. It shows us Jonah as a kind of a foil, a counterpoint to show what God is really like and what Jonah should be more like. And that's a lesson for us to learn as well. The book of Jonah is about God. And in this chapter in particular... It teaches us that God is in control. That's one of the central themes of the book and of this chapter, that God is in control. So for those of you who like headings, who like to be able to structure your notes, um, I'm going to be looking at this under four headings. I'm going to be looking at it under the headings of run on, caught in the storm, who are you, and man overboard. So, run on, the first of our headings. We read there right at the start that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Now, that is a classic prophetic motif. All the way throughout the Bible, that's how prophecies are introduced. The word of the Lord came to. It's quite often used in the call and in the commissioning of prophets. The word of the Lord came to. So, so far, so normal. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And what did that word say? Well, we find it there in verse 2, where it says, if you look with me, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. 
Now, the translation that we use has, has compressed that a bit for easier reading. Because what the Hebrew actually says is, get up, go to Nineveh. There's two verbs there, get up or arise, go. And the reason I'm drawing that out is because in the very next verse, and again, it's, it's not quite so obvious in our translation, but the next verse starts with the same verb. God says, get up, Jonah gets up. Now, again, that is what an Old Testament reader would pretty much expect. The word of the Lord comes to someone and tells them to do something. The Lord says, get up, you get up. But this is where the story takes a bit of a twist. Because Jonah may get up, but he doesn't then follow this by going to Nineveh, which is what you would expect of a prophet, isn't it, really? What you would expect of a servant of the Lord when the Lord tells them to do something. But no, Jonah runs away. He heads for some place called Tarshish. So what's going on here? What is Jonah's motivation for this scene, if you like? What, why does he want to do this? Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm going to be straight from the start. We don't get a full answer to that question until chapter 4. And I'm not looking at chapter 4 today. There are some hints in what we're looking at which build towards that. And you know what? If you want to go home after this and read the whole of the book of Jonah and get to the spoilers ahead, do it. Absolutely do that. But we're not going to look at that today. But there is also the question of what Jonah was hoping to achieve here. And it's often assumed that he was trying to run away from God. That's kind of understandable, isn't it? If we, if we look at what it says in our Bibles, because it says he was running away from the Lord. But again, this is an issue where the translators have tried to make this into readable English that makes sense. Because what the Hebrew says is Jonah was fleeing from the face of the Lord. Now, we don't talk that way. It doesn't make much sense to us. He was fleeing from the face of the Lord. We have it three times in this chapter. It's twice here in verse 3 and then again in verse 10. And why that matters is because Jonah didn't for one minute think that he could get away from God. He wasn't making the mistake that a lot of nations did and a lot of people still do today of thinking that God was bound to a particular place. That he was restricted by geography. That if you just go far enough away, he won't be able to see you. I mean, if you're doubting that, you can see it there in verse 9. In verse 9, Jonah describes God as the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. So he knew that God was the God of the whole world, the land and the sea. He would have had Psalm 139 to tell him that. Where can I go from your spirit? If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. We sang words to that effect in our last singing, didn't we? If I was to go from land to land, if I was to cross the furthest seas, Lord, you would still be there. So he wasn't hoping to get away from God. He was fleeing from his face. That's a Hebrew idiom. Um, God's face is kind of connected with God's immediate presence and his authority. It was symbolically located in the land he'd given to the people and in the temple that sat at the center of the land. It's linked to the idea of serving him, being before his face. So Jonah wasn't running away from God so much as he was trying to run away from his obligations to God. God says, go here, speak to these people with my words. It's kind of like a king appointing an ambassador, isn't he? 
But Jonah doesn't. Instead of standing before the face of his God, Jonah turns around and runs from his presence. He was basically refusing his commission. He was throwing his resignation in God's face. He was rejecting God's authority. We might say that he was going, nah, -ah," and he was taking control of the situation because he thought he knew better. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and instead, Jonah gets on a boat heading basically about as far as he could possibly go in the other direction. You ever done that? I mean, probably not literally. But have you ever had God give you a direction and you think you know better? So you head the other way. God says go and we say no. I don't think so. Remember I said in verse 1 that God told Jonah to get up. To rise. And Jonah does get up. But then he goes down. It says in our text he goes down to Joppa. That was where the port was. And that's the start of a trajectory which runs through this whole chapter. Because that same word keeps coming back as Jonah continues to try and get further and further away from God's purpose. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down below decks. And I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that there is more going down in store for Jonah. He goes down, down, down into the sea. That is the trajectory that we set ourselves on when we refuse God's directions, when we think we know better, when we try to run from God's purpose, when we say, I'm in control of my life. You put yourself in a downward spiral. Down, down, down goes Jonah. But God is not done with Jonah, not by a long way. God is still in control. Look at verse 4 with me. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God sends a violent storm. Jonah is caught in the storm. Now, if we didn't already know that God was in control wherever Jonah runs, then it's reinforced here. Because this storm didn't just happen. It didn't just blow up. They didn't kind of stumble into it. It wasn't unfortunate. God sent it. In fact, sent is quite a weak word for what happened here. The word really means something like hurled. Or cast. It's the same word that would be used of throwing a javelin or a spear at a target. The wind is God's tool. It is his weapon. And Jonah and the boat that he's in are the target. There is intent behind the storm. There is purpose. It's not just any old storm. Now these sailors, these sailors would have been experienced men. This was not their first storm. But they could tell that this was unlike anything that they had ever experienced before. 
They were terrified. They cried out to whatever God they thought might hear them. Whatever God they could think of, they cried out. They even went so far as to throw their cargo overboard. Now that is a huge thing for them to do. That's their profit. That's their livelihood. But their lives matter more to them than their livelihood. So off the cargo goes. Put yourselves in their position for a moment. And think what it must have been like. Imagine their terror as this supernatural storm rages about them. As it threatens to tear the ship to pieces and drag them all down. They knew there was something or someone behind this storm. They saw the power not just of the storm but behind the storm. And they were justifiably terrified. But not Jonah. Not Jonah, whose people were renowned for staying on the land because they didn't like the sea. They thought the sea was the symbol of chaos. They were terrified of the sea at the best of times. Not Jonah, who was intimately acquainted with the one who had sent the storm. Jonah, who should have known exactly who to call out to. He's not on the deck, panicking with everybody else. Jonah's asleep. What does that tell us? Well, first off, just because we are at peace with a decision that we have made doesn't mean that it's the right one. Because things really kind of fell into place in a way that seemed to suit Jonah, didn't they? To help foster this illusion of control that he had. There just happened to be a ship going the right way at the right time. And oh, he just happened to be able to get passage on it. Now he's even managed to get below decks and get his head down for a bit. It's been a tough day for Jonah. But that doesn't mean that things are okay. It doesn't mean that he's in control. Are you ever like that? Are you asleep while the storm rages around you? Ignorant, blissfully ignorant of it? Because not knowing that it is there will not save you from it. If you're trying to run from God's purpose, then you are at sea in a storm. And just because you feel at peace doesn't mean that you're okay if you're not in step with God's plan. But we also see something darker in Jonah's character here. We see something which is going to come out later on. Something a little off about Jonah. Because we see a complete lack of compassion for the people who are, quite literally, in the same boat as he is. No compassion. Because when we sin... When we go off track, when we try to run our own way, there are consequences. And sometimes those consequences strike the people around us as well. But Jonah doesn't care. The captain asks him to cry out to his God. But there is no indication that he does that at this stage. In fact, we can be pretty sure that he doesn't. Because after they cast the lots to find out who's responsible, they have to ask Jonah who he is. Who are you? They ask him kind of what we might think of as basic identity questions, don't they? 
What do you do? Where are you from? We ask that kind of question all the time. Who are your people? If you're from the West Coast, you ask that quite a lot as well. But we like to know these things about people. It's their identity. It's who they are. But there's another question that we don't ask and they don't ask here. Now, we don't ask it today because it feels a little bit weird and maybe rude to ask somebody. The sailors didn't ask it because they didn't need to. The answers to these other questions would give them the answer to this question because it is, who or what is your God? Because that is the real core of our identity. Not our jobs, not our families, not where we live and what we do. Who or what is your God? What we give our time and our worship to. If you want to know who you really are, ask yourself who or what you worship. Who or what do you give control of your lives to? What controls you? Jonah's answer is really interesting. Because on the one hand, it looks quite positive, doesn't it? But on the other hand, I'll tell you what, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Okay. It's interesting that he starts with his nationality. That's what comes first for him, the fact that he is a Hebrew. That is where his primary identity is formed. Again, we're seeing some hints of some deeper issues here with Jonah. But that second bit, that, that bit, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds like a classic confession of faith. Oh, do you know what, Jonah, mate? You have a funny way of showing it. I worship or I serve the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. Then what is he doing on this boat Sailing to Tarshish. It's easy to say the words, but his actions make them a lie. If he serves the Lord, why is he running from his face? And even the sailors seem to see the problem with this, don't they? What have you done? These pagans, these people who did not know God, They recognize Jonah's fatal folly. What have you done? What do we need to do to put it right? There is a recognition here from the sailors that God is in control. And finally, Jonah gets it. Finally. Verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Whoa. Man overboard. This is, this is the bit everybody kind of knows, isn't it? Jonah gets thrown overboard. What would you have done if you were the sailors? Put yourselves in their shoes for a little while. Your life is at risk. The boat is breaking up under you. You probably don't swim. And even if you do, you're in the middle of the sea and there's a storm raging. This man has said that it's his fault. By having him on board, you have effectively set yourself in opposition to the God who claims control and authority over the whole earth, land and sea. And now this guy says, throw me overboard. What would you have done? How long would you have hesitated before you had hold of him and over the railings. 
Because initially, the sailors are having none of it. They look at the sea and they think, that is a death sentence. They are not quite ready to do that. They are not ready to go there. So they do their level best to get the boat to safety. And again, the kind of the, the original language talks about them digging the sea, um, the, the effort that they put in. They gave everything they had to try and avoid this, but it was useless. The storm gets worse. So what else can they do? They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to God. They recognize that they are all out of options. And they acknowledge that the Lord does as he pleases. They see his hand in this. And they acknowledge that he is in control. So they pick Jonah up and they throw him into the sea. And what happens? Straight away, the sea goes calm. Just like that. That is not how storms work. Not natural ones anyway. So it's no surprise that we read in verse 16 that at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. There's a beautiful irony at work here because again with the Hebrew we have the same word being repeated as we had back in verse 9. The word that Jonah said when he said, I worship the Lord or I serve the Lord, it's the same word we have for fear. But now we have it with more emphasis. Jonah said, I fear the Lord. The sailors who started off by crying out to any God who might be passing, we now read that they feared the Lord greatly. It's emphatic. So Jonah, who's supposed to be the prophet of the Lord and says he fears him, and these pagan sailors fear him greatly. They recognize that both the storm and their salvation come from God's hands. Do you? Do you see God's hand in, in your lives? But what about Jonah? What about a reluctant, reckless, resigning runaway prophet? What about him? Well, verse 17 the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That's where we're going to leave Jonah for now. But even this last verse has something really important to tell us about who is running the narrative. The Lord provided a great fish. Some translations will say he appointed the fish. He provided it. He appointed it. Again, again, what we have here is intentionality. Fish wasn't just passing by. God had foreordained this. He has planned it. And just like the boat that happened to be there at the right time, just like the storm which whipped up, just like the sailors, the fish is serving God's purpose. We love to feel like we're in control. But this chapter reminds us who really is. Jonah probably thought he was in control until he found himself in the raging sea. All the way through, we are reminded that God calls the shots. God 
gives the direction. He sends the storms and he sends the calms. He puts his truth in the mouth of people who don't even know him. And he appoints the fish which is waiting to swallow Jonah as he sinks into the sea. So what's your response to that? Are you still running from him? Are you denying his authority over your life? Even in some cases, while with your mouth, you claim to worship him. Are you caught up in the storms of life like the sailors, unsure who to call to? Who can you run to? Who can you turn to? Where? Where can you find shelter from the storm? Well, let me jump forward. Not to the rest of Jonah's story. I said I wasn't going there today, but further than that, way further. To a part of the Bible where we have an account which has a lot in common with this part of Jonah's tale, but also some really important differences. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 35 to to, to on a bit from there, just from 35, Mark's Gospel. And we read there that that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, just like Jonah and the sailors, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. Just like Jonah, Jesus was asleep. And just as with Jonah, a great storm comes up and threatens the boat and terrifies everyone in it. But while Jonah slept in ignorance, Jesus could rest in confidence. The disciples asked Jesus, don't you care? I'm pretty sure the sailors wondered the same about Jonah when he slept through the storm and didn't pray. But unlike Jonah, Jesus cared very much. But he knew that they had no reason to fear as long as they were with him. As the storm raged, the sailors asked Jonah, Who are you? They wanted to know who he is. And as the storm goes calm, the disciples, who are now probably even more terrified, ask, who is this? Because they knew, good scripture reading Hebrews that they were, they knew that only God could control the storm. Only he could command the storm. And now Jesus stands up and says, be quiet. Who is this? That is the most important question that you will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus? But there's something else going on here 
there's a little bit of um, foreshadowing, if you like, of looking forward, of hinting at something else that's going to come. See, when the sailors threw Jonah overboard, as far as they were concerned, they didn't know what God had planned. They didn't know there was a fish appointed to swallow him. As far as they were concerned, they were killing him. They were putting him to death to save themselves. That's what they were doing. One man died so that they didn't. Now, Jonah's troubles were brought on him by his own sins, and Jesus is different in that way. But just as Jonah went into a symbolic death, and then a symbolic time under the ground because he was in the belly of a whale, so Jesus really died. And Jesus really spent three days in the tomb before he rose up again to show that he was in control. That even death couldn't defeat him. So who's in control? Is it you? Is it me? No way. Jesus is in control. Now and always, because Jesus is God. So that is the question that you need to ask yourself today. You need to look at him. Whether you know the storm is raging or whether you don't. Whether you have heard God's word to you and knowingly walked away in the other direction. Or whether you haven't yet realized that's what you're doing. If Jesus is saying, get up, what are you going to do? Jesus who commands the storm. Jesus who is in control. Look at him now and ask yourself, who is he. Put him in control of your life. Make him your God, the one you hear, the one you follow. And when he says go and take his word, you go and you take it. Who is he to you?